Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Osiris. Now we are, Jonathan. Now we are. Now we are here. Now we are. Okay. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey. Good. Hi. How are you doing? Great. Good to see everybody. We got a. We got some playoff baseball coming, Brian. Coming uh, to a city I don't know if me. I do, but you do. I I think uh, I think the Cubs are. They've blown it, but I'm excited to root for your Phillies. Bryce Harper last night taking on Angel Gonzalez uh, or Angel Hernandez, excuse me, the worst, worst umpire in all of baseball, and then throwing his helmet into the stands to the adoring Phillies fans. Um, I'm not from Philadelphia. I have no family in Philadelphia, but I root for the Phillies often because they tend to make the playoffs when the Cubs don't. So I will be back in you and your fair city of brotherly love. <laughs> That's really nice. That's really nice, Brian. You know what, uh, you know what Bryce Harper said before the game last Saturday? I what wish I'd never it? left the Washington Nationals. No. He said... <laughs> it's a sports thing I knew. Come on. No. That was good. Go, he said, go Bucks." So, what do you think about that? What do you think about McGrub that? McGrupp repping uh, some Osiris pods across the channel here. Great segue from always <laughs> almost there. Go Phillies. Hey, man. I'm into I'm into all of this. Happy Cheers. Friday. Happy yeah. Friday afternoon. We're we're going we're going forward as we as we often do, except when we go backwards, which is also often. But today we're going forward to 2011, and we are going to get to that show in just a minute after a very quick introduction. Um, how's everybody doing? And also, what where where are we? Where are we in this series? Where are we in this series? We're in 2011. S- we're yeah, we are done, two, kind of. Two Not really. years into 3.0. I mean, it's kind of wild to think about how we are almost done, uh, you know, mathematically speaking, I know. But how much there is still to go. And when you think back to this and you listen back to a show like this and then kind of hop around the year as I do in the week leading up to these episodes, you remember kind of like the feelings that you had at this point during Fish History, especially in early 3.0. Um, Jonathan talked about this last week that, you know, that kind of understanding we all had for the band as they were trying to rebuild in 2009. And there was this kind of just simple joy around them being back that was wearing off ever so slightly into 2010. And it definitely was wearing off here in 2011. Although we start to hear kind of the building blocks towards what's coming. It's a really interesting period for fish, but um, I will just say as well, I, uh, I only saw two shows this year. So this was like the, I was in, I was living in the Pacific Northwest 
fish rarely comes to the Pacific Northwest. Um, so I webcast a decent amount. I listened to all these shows, but I wasn't going to see a bunch of these shows. What about you, Meg? Were you back on the train with fish? No, I only saw one show this year and I moved abroad this year. So things were changing for me really dramatically, but I only saw the January 1st show and, you know, I alluded to it last week, but it was the only fish show that I've actually left early. And it was a good show. It was a great show. But um, my friends from college came up to see the show. I had a daughter that was about to turn one and I had a two-year-old. And they came up to Brooklyn and we, they, we met at like noon. And I was so excited to see them. And these were like my friends in college. You know how you have those friends who like when you see them, you immediately revert back to like your 19-year-old self that like makes bad decisions and is just like there to have a really good time? That was what happened to me. So when we met up at like 12, we started partying and ended up at Brother Jimmy's RIP and drank like pitchers and pitchers of beer. <laughs> we were like smoking time. I mean, it was not good. And then by the time the second set came, I was I was way overserved. I was just way overserved. And I was like in the venue and I was trying to like pull it together. My friend like brought me to the bathroom and was like, are you going to be okay? It was like shaking me. I was like, you're going to make it like, just like, you know, get it together. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to make it. And everything started to spin and I had to go. I had to go. I, I wasn't like, I didn't have my sea legs in me anymore. Like I didn't know how to do fish anymore. You know, I wasn't like, I didn't remember how to do it and I wasn't prepared. So it was really lame. That was the only show I saw that year. And that was still the old garden. That was before all. Thank of, God, uh, the because work. I may have left my mark at a place in that garden, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, it's the old one, so it's all good. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got to, I, I got to go there in April of that year, and uh, I lament what was. Although it's fine now, sure. But I mean, it's nicer. It just doesn't have that fun giant concourse, which is the best. Yes. I only saw one fish show that year, though. That was uh, and and after that show, I checked out. I mean, yeah, I like I didn't check out. I just stopped caring enough to go, and I didn't go see them again until 2013. What show and, did you see? Uh, first night Merryweather, or okay, yeah. one night of Merryweather. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last Albuquerque that's ever been played. Yeah, Seven Eleven. Um, I was like, well, fuck it. I'm not going to play Albuquerque anymore. I don't need to go see him again. Wow. I didn't realize that um, was the last one. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I knew. Yeah. I had seen it a few times. <laughs> count, so I was like unimpressed. So, so oh, a little flex there. I see. <laughs> I feel like this was a little bit of a, a quiet period for fish. Like it was kind of before them talking a lot about stuff. You know, it was before like mm-hmm. segments on fish radio and, and more interviews and podcasts and all kind of, yeah. kind of things. Now we can, we hear from the band all the time now. Yeah. Really yeah, relative. The, but the banter on this show is like the most revealing bit. Uh, yeah. They're like right before the, uh, the encore. Um, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I forgot about Trey telling us how encores work for them. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is but relevant you- to our community, our conversations this year. But yeah, I feel what like do you it guys was think sack for the year for the band. What do you guys think that they were like? What do you guys think that Fish was kind of going through at that time? Like, do you think they were all fully just back, like back in the swing of things for 3.0? Because we don't really, we don't really know. I don't think there's a lot of documentation about what was going on in 2011 with them. No, I mean, I think. The way I've always taken this year is they came off of a really strong fall tour in 2010. They took about six months off. We didn't hear from them until uh, Memorial Day, but the summer was pretty packed with fish. We had a run up until the end of June. We had um, Festival 8 came back, but like nobody knew if that was just an 09 phenomenon that like we're kind of hitting all the beats of what you know made fish special. So it was like a Halloween festival combo. Having a Fourth of July festival kind of reset that like festivals may be a regular thing uh, in 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 this period in time, um, and then they started this new tradition with um, uh, Labor Day at Dick's, and so you know they they probably didn't envision at that point in time that this would be twelve years running, thirteen years going, but um, 
you know, they, they inadvertently started a new tradition for themselves. So I say all that. Cause like, I think that they were really trying to hit the summer strong. It's a, uh, it's, you know, the whole summer, as I recall, was kind of dominated by fish being on tour. And you had the storage jam, which really showcased the band reaching a little bit deeper improvisationally and musically into communication around what could come next. Uh, to that point in time, we hadn't had that much kind of dark and eerie jamming. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, they took the fall off first, not first year without a fall tour in 3.0. Um, they play this new year's run that kind of showcased the limits of where we were at at that point in time. And I remember walking out of the new year's run, uh, 2011, I didn't go, but remember listening to it and thinking we might've reached the end of 3.0. Um, that is to my ears, uh, maybe the worst run uh, of fish since they came back in 2009. It's very uninspired. The set lists are very um, kind of blase. The, the, the jamming is pretty non-existent. It just ends up being an uninspired run to my ears. And I remember leaving that thinking this is potentially the end. Like why would they keep working so hard at something mm. that they're taking one step forward, two steps back that changes significantly in 2012, but I wonder, you know, Jonathan, for you, um, you know, you, uh, you spent, you kind of hopped off the ship midway through 2011. Did you feel similar things at that point in time? Like, what were your thoughts on all this? I, w- I want to give you a lot of credit for your comment about how the new year's run showcased their limitations. Um, hey. that's amazing. Um, I was I was at the Merryweather show. I was in the pit. Went up there with some friends. Got in there nice and early. It did not go in the rail. I'm not trying. To, I was in the back of the pit of Merryweather, which is not a very big space. And I was um, I I didn't have a great time. Um, and I think that's enough. I think that's enough of a reason to decide you don't need to go. I feel like Fish was trying. Like if you look at that set list, you know, it, it it looks like fish is trying. Um, I just wasn't hitting it for me. So I was well, like, I think... I, eh. <laughs> and I and I think thinking... they proved that out somewhat later in the year. Sorry, Megan, please. No, I'm I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just saying that Matthew Ross had this comment that said, if you don't practice, you get bad at fish. And he was talking about me, but I also think that they weren't playing a lot of shows and at this point in their career, getting back into it to play 40 shows a year, to take off six months, you're just not going to be able to play that the way that you want to play. You know, I think if you take that much time off, you can still hit into those moments. And I think you could see that like after they've been on tour for a little bit, like this show we're going to talk about today, or like, you know, the end of Super Bowl or like Dick's or like, you know, there's points that, that they came in and that they really Bethel like had it and Bethel really good, yeah. somehow doesn't make sense, but it was really amazing. But mostly the shows that were good were after they'd been, you know, playing for a little while. And so I think they just felt cold and probably not, not tapped into it and not, you know, playing together enough, especially after being off for so many years. So it's kind of interesting because I feel like this year is like really, there's not a lot there, only 40 shows altogether. And there's just not a lot of really great shows, but they have some really great moments. And I actually felt like, I had quite a few shows that I was trying to decide between when I picked the show. I'm curious what some of the others were. Yeah. I mean, the Beth, the 528 Bethel is amazing. That show is just great. Top to bottom. The last night of Super Bowl, um, the Blossom show, the Gorge, mm-hmm. Detroit, Sunday Dicks. But I really wanted to do a show after the storage jam because I feel like that was really pivotal to this year and also just to early 3.0. So that's why I chose the show. And I think the show, the flow is so great, but I've always especially loved the second set. Mm-hmm. It's funny. You had the, Can we, I, still, I think that the, the best thing they played at Bethel that year was like 26. The wave though, sound right? check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the show, the 28th is awesome. 
Can we just talk about okay. the storage jam real quick? Because I listened to it today Please. for the first time in a really long time. And <clears throat> besides that really cool, like Pink Floyd style jam in the middle, what, what else is significant about this besides showing that fish can still make like weird noises for really long periods of time, <laughs> which I think is, I think you nailed it. Yeah. I mean, I, that is kind of it's what bad. it was. I, th I think, I think it's, it's a, it's a functional exercise more than anything. It's them yeah. in front of people playing that way. Uh, Jonathan just referenced the Bethel tech waves, which is I think like 27 minutes. They just released on the LP LP two. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite jams of the entire 3.0, 4.0 era. That is in front of no one. That is, mm -hmm. you, you hear this like, you know, emotionally you hear Trey at the start. And as a fan, I say emotionally because like when you hear it, you get so excited. Even 12 years later, turns the page and goes, do you want to play a jammier song? Page goes, I do. And you like hear this sensation from the band of like, yes, we want to like feel that we can take this risk again. Um, but I, and this is totally my interpretation. I still think at this point in time, there was a fear of falling on their faces or falling back on habits from 2003, 2004. And the storage jam is that time where they don't have to announce it. They can play it in front of a live audience, but it's only people who are really dedicated to search them out. It gets a little chilly at that point in time in you know, upstate New York. It's late at night. It's been a long day. And they can just fuck around with zero expectations to peak a jam, to reward anyone emotionally. And that to me was, I, I would argue until the Fuck Your Face show, the most important thing that they did in the first four years of 3.0, regardless if musically it sounds, quote, good. I mean, we've we've seen this as we've gone through this project and and other other information that's come to us, you know, which is that... Trey in particular, but Fish as a band, they work up and develop sounds and things in sound checks that don't surface in front of an audience sometimes for years. Yeah. Um, you know, Trey talked about it when he was in one of his rig rundowns where he's like, Yeah, just you know, come out here and I make these loops and sounds and stuff to get warmed up and and then you know. Turns out he's been doing that for a while and it just starts to come out on stage. I think that Bethel Waves is an example of that. And this is the thing. It's Even like, going yes, back, the, the Clifford Ball soundtrack jam sounds like right. 97, 14 months early. Sorry to interrupt exactly. you. Like, no, no, they've no, been you're, doing you're spot this on. It's a perfect example. Um, and I think that goes to kind of what Megan was saying, which is that there are high points in this, this year. They just weren't committing to doing it with a frequency that was, uh, I felt satisfying other people were having a great time. And that was another part of it. It was like me stepping away it was because other people are having a great time. They don't need me standing there like this with my arms crossed, you know, beside them because I'm not. So I went home. I kept listening. I listened to every single show during that time when I wasn't seeing them because I was looking for it. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's pretty good here and there, you know, but it wasn't getting me out of the house. Um, and eventually did. RJ, what were your thoughts on this year? Did you, were you seeing a lot of shows? Um, you obviously are two years away from starting a podcast at this yeah. point in time, or even like conceiving of figuring out a way to talk about fish in this sort of manner. Like, where are you at with fish? No, um, not really. I mean, I saw the two Meriwether shows and then the first, you know, at MSG, like I talked, I told that story at the end of last week and then I thought, saw the 29th. So Two MSG shows and two Meriwether shows. Yeah, I was just going, like, having fun. I mean, it was fun. You know, mm -hmm. I think it was mostly just going and having fun. I didn't actually mm -hmm. think about starting the podcast until my wife was pregnant with our first kid, which was um, apparently a good time to start a Perfect new time. project. It's always a good time. <laughs> um, you you so. think you'll ever finish that project? No. <laughs> Still on your way. Yeah. Still happening. I, but yeah. I just want to say... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I don't think it... I, I don't think... I'm not even sure that I listened to like a lot of these shows until later, you know, mm. like going back and catching up just because of projects for the podcast yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I do think is notable because Megan, you did say, and Jonathan, you echoed this, like there were highs during a year that had, I don't want to say necessarily lows. It just, a lot of the year felt kind of just like plateauing at times. And then there would be these big spike moments. Um, but I was at the gorge, um, 
And the rock and roll that was played that show uh, yeah. is still one of the most exciting gems I've ever seen, still one of the most exciting gems I've ever heard. And that is them plucking out elements of the storage jam and plopping it into another, you know, another jam vehicle um, and testing the waters there. You heard it in that rock and roll. Uh, you heard it in the light from Tahoe. You hear it scattered throughout this show. You hear it in the Down with Disease the following night. Um, you hear it in the Piper from 9-4. Uh, and then um, I forget which, I think it's the light from uh, the New Year's Eve show. But you heard these elements of this experimental set piece dispersed we just call throughout it storage the jamming. Game. Storage jamming, yes, was <laughs> what we, we called it at the time. And it definitely showcased a new style for the band. I don't think it's necessarily carried over. Um, parts of it have when they get dark, when they get weird, when they get industrial, you think about like the deer Creek simple from 2021, there are moments where it's here, but I, it, it always has seemed to me as a functional ins uh, inspiration and a functional tool for them to just move beyond whatever it was that they were doing. And, and we wouldn't necessarily see that come to fruition for another 15 months. I also really like the indie rock influences that Trey's playing with during some of the jamming in this. Like, I think it's really cool. Like, reading about that he was listening to a lot of beach house and trying to like use that and style of playing and like really sparse and the way that he was plucking his instrument. Like that's really cool. And I love knowing what Trey was listening to and listening to something as diverse as that while he was thinking about his jams. Like so cool. That's one of the reasons why I chose this show too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. Do we want to get into some of the uh, yeah, usual yeah. formal aspects of our episode here with like very formal cultural <laughs> and We've Brings. basically been in Meg's corner without letting Meg run it. Which should we do first? God damn it. That's okay. It's all right. Is there anything that we missed, Meg, from your corner? Or should yeah. we jump into pop culture? Um, we can just go really quickly. The only things I want to say are that last year I neglected to mention that Trey got a new guitar in 2010. And I felt like I should have mentioned that. So the Ossadoc introduced like almost a year exactly before this show. Um, as I mentioned, they did 40 shows this year. We talked a lot. Brian, you kind of went through their their tour schedule, so I'm not going to go through that again. Um, for the releases this year, we have Live Bait 4, 5, and 6. They're going to release the Hampton Winston-Salem 97 CD box set, which I fucking love. No surprise there, but my brother-in-law got this for me, and I was so happy about it. And I just I love this CD box set. It's one of the last things <sighs> I bought on CD. Really? Yeah. It's like one of the, like, just this is so good. Um, I'm going to spin that again soon. Um, and then there's Live Fish releases. The archival releases are the Live Fish Japan release. So they're going to release that 99 Fuji Rock show. They're going to release 123191 from Worcester. And then Trey has an album that's like a six-pack tab sampler from his winter 2011 tour. And then there are only 10 debuts this year. Only one original song, which also probably speaks to why this year is kind of lame. And that song, of course, is Steam. 
And that's it. That's uh, all I got. And never was heard from again, right? Yeah, <laughs> wait. right. <laughs> wait, wait, it's everywhere. Seems a banger. We like that one. New Year's. So 2011, we basically have three months of fish and the rest of the year is to consume pop culture, which we did. All of us, every single one. Um, television, this is, I was I was looking back through the year. This is kind of the shift that I've been talking about as we've been leading up to this, where we have shows like The Sopranos, Mad Men, The Wire, Breaking Bad, starting to take over kind of prestige TV. This is where like streaming starts to become the next the kind of step forward, like, like where we're at currently with television kind of starts around 2011. Uh, Game of Thrones debuts this year, uh, one of the biggest shows in television history. Uh, derided now, but the the series Louie was in its second or third season at this point in time, and this was kind of like peak uh, comedy on television. Uh, Homeland season one, speaking of streaming, uh, this show kicked off great first season breaking bad was in season four downton abbey for those of us who like uh british period melodramas uh debut yes, season one yes please portlandia debuted which um just existed to annoy me because i lived in portland and it was so <laughs> accurate uh it was like i was just watching my life on television uh and enlightened a great show on hbo uh had season one if you guys haven't seen that laura dern amazing stuff midlife crisis laura dern excellent excellent show uh movies this is I was going back through the last few years. This is like the weakest year in movies that we've had in probably a decade. Uh, but there were some good ones. It's kind of like Fish. Uh, Limitless <laughs> with Bradley Cooper. Bridesmaids, huge, hilarious movie. Oh, that's uh, funny. Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson. The Tree of Life with Brad Pitt. Contagion, a movie uh, that was filmed in my hometown about a pandemic that I watched for the first time on, I think, like March 11th. 2020 and i was like oh shit this is what we're about to deal with <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it like felt like a documentary at the time but i was like at the end of it when like they go back to normal i was like when the hell is that gonna happen um drive another great movie to mm. showcase how incredible ryan gosling is uh moneyball <laughs> probably my favorite movie of the year uh brad pitt as billy bean margin call j edgar starring leonardo dicaprio uh the descendants starring george clooney mm. another alexander payne film one of my favorites uh the best picture winner that year does anyone recall what won the best picture in 2011 no no idea the artist you have any idea what movie won the best picture in 2011 has anybody seen this movie I've seen it once. It's not very good. I don't recommend it. Um, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, great uh, Gary mm. Oldman movie. Extremely loud and incredibly close. A uh, uh, 10 years on from 9-11 movie. Uh, music. The number one song in America at the time of this show. Does anyone have any idea? This is, I said last week it was one of the worst songs ever. This is probably the worst department. song in history. Meg, do you have any idea? Wow. August 2011. No, but the worst song in history. I don't know. What is it? Party Rock Anthem by Elf. <laughs> that really is so bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you for not defending that. I was, no. I was, I was worried there we were going to get a Meg defense on that. No. Oh, my God. Come on, Brian. I'm what sorry. Are you I still don't know what it awful. is. Well, me neither. Don't to. Kind of you glad. Don't to. Everybody. It's a party. <laughs> I, my my sister-in-law had her bachelorette party in Las Vegas like the next year, and I had to go from London to Las Vegas for this bachelorette party, which is a hilarious story because I missed my flight home, which is like, I still haven't lived that down. But while I was there, that song was like playing in the clubs in Vegas. And it was a tragedy. We went to a wedding in summer of 2011 and my wife was in it and she had to come out with the no. entire wedding party to that song. And she no. still hates every aspect of that memory. <laughs> um, some killer records though this year. 2011 was a great year for albums. Just running through a few of them. P.J. Harvey's Let England Shake, St. Vincent's Strange Mercy, Bon Iver's self-titled album, mm. my favorite Bon Iver record, and my favorite record of that year. Uh, Toon Yards, Who Kill, Destroyers, Kaput, Shabazz Palace's Black Up, Danny Brown's Triple X, Tim Hecker's Rave Death 1972, Fleet Fox's Helplessness Blues, Nicholas Jar's Space is Only Noise, Lowe's Come On, Wilco's The Whole Love, Kendrick Lamar's Section 80, first record from Kendrick Lamar. Juliana Barwick's The Magic Place. Girls, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. 
Bill Callahan's Apocalypse, The War on Drugs, Slave Ambient, Kurt Vile's Smoke Ring for My Halo. Love that. Radiohead's The King of Limbs, Cosmo Combs, Wits End, and The Weekend, House of Balloons. There are many others that I am skipping over here. I know it's uh, not a completist list, but a uh, great, great year in music. Some of those are just foundational records for me. So a lot of those are records I go back to on a regular basis. Anybody have anything else that they want to add to the music list? I, I would just like to say that um, once again, I was duped and I went to the final LCD sound system concert that year. <laughs> oh, you were at I that. It, I, I mentioned it earlier. Um, that is, uh, you know, part of my ongoing lawsuit uh, against them and Ozzy Osbourne for the No More Tours tour <laughs> and a few others. Um, but it was awesome. It it's was a great show. show. Yeah, yeah a- they put on an amazing show. Yeah, and that I one's on just long too. and cool. dance heavy, and yeah, the DVD's great. So, can we talk about this indoor fish show during the summer? What do you yeah, guys think can. about this? What do you guys think about this summer indoor concert experience? I like the I like Baker's dozen. Fish. Yeah, I'm indoor into it. fish is fun. It's very nice to not worry about weather. You know, especially like after spending like, you know a hurricane style thing in Wilmington this year to be like, okay, well I'm going to MSG and I don't have to stress. Like it's all going to be good. It's nice. And this was so like 9,000 people is pretty small. Right. And if you Classic keep your eyes open as well. when the, when the lights and look at the lights, then the lights are full blast, you know, at the beginning of the show mm-hmm. which you don't get in the summer for sets. Uh, I never look at them, but you know, other people really like that sort of thing. Um, I feel like I when mean, I do a lot I of love. dead tour too. Sorry, I was just gonna say when I do a lot of when I used to do a lot of dead tour and like fish tour in the summer, when I was younger, that would be like such a relief when you'd finally get to like Detroit and you'd be like, great, I get to be inside. I don't have to like be in like you know a thousand degrees in this place or like a storm in Deer Creek or like it's gonna be great. It's just kind of like a it releases the pressure valve a little. I mean, I think to your question, RJ, like the feeling of being outdoors at a fish show in the summertime, um, the breeze, uh, the way the sound kind of drifts out of an amphitheater that does hearken to like some really nice memories, but it is cool. And it is unique that, um, I remember when this run was announced, there was a ton of excitement around it because they had not played UIC since 98, I want to say. Um, and so it's an old venue. There's no curfew. I'm, it's not GA, but it just, from what I recall, and I went to a few shows here um, growing up in the Chicago suburbs, it just has like a freedom of movement. There's there's pretty lax security. Um, so it kind of feels, I, I think for a lot of fans, it felt like a throwback of sorts, almost like what we were talking about last, last week with Utica, Augusta, Maine, you know, these small mm-hmm. Northeast industrial cities. This kind of felt like a throwback as well. It's interesting though, the two previous years they had played Toyota Park, so uh, mm-hmm. I think people had probably begun to expect that. And perhaps that was part of the prototyping for Dicks, you know, playing the mm-hmm. soccer stadium situation. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I imagine people I can't remember. So I'm going to just imagine that people were a little surprised at this announcement. Um, there was a guarantee there was somebody who said, well, what about that amphitheater or whatever world? Tinley Park, and somebody surely mm. responded, "Well, that place is an old dump." Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but I also didn't... seem to recall that this was a year that Alpine was hosting less concerts and was kind of mm. hosting just like, like kind of like every year shows. Yeah, I mean, this was like around the time that they started to really downscale the amount of shows that were there. Uh, Pearl Jam 20 was at Alpine, but I think that was one of the only major events. Um, I also, I'm just remembering this, so I apologize. I don't want to toss us back to Meg's corner, but I think it is relevant. You know, we're talking about indoor, outdoor fish. We're talking about traditions where the band was at. They announced that they were playing Dick Sporting Goods Park over Labor Day. If you look through fish history, there's not a lot of shows over Labor Day going back to the inception of the band. This was not like a highlight period the way the way New Year's Eve or Halloween or Thanksgiving is for fish. Um, but I remember a video appearing online after the announcement that um, – 
drives you down I-270 past all the oil refineries in Commerce City um, with like some fish jam planet. It just said, welcome to beautiful Commerce City. And I say all that because like there was kind of a, what the fuck, why are they playing outside of Denver, Colorado over Labor Day? Like there was a ton of skepticism around that run. And it wasn't until the end of that weekend that everyone was like, you better come back here next year. This is this has got to happen again. Yeah, the... um the skepticism I think was legit, but you know, I think part of the reason they weren't playing labor day before, like it was labor day is when all the schools are getting back in swing, you know, fish was in the early nineties, you know, playing colleges. And that was not when colleges were booking bands and that's, you know, so it was always a little like down moment and you then and they summer's over fall hasn't kicked in, and then they'd come back. So it was an interesting move. Um, and I think it, when they first started, I was like, well, shit, I can't go to this because my kids always start school right after that. Now my kids are old and they don't care where I am. So it's easier. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they started that, like but... this amazing tradition. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they knew that this was going to be a special place and it just became such a huge special place. I mean, it's incredible to think it's been going on for that long. Whoever brought that idea to the band, I, I'm i sure they're well appreciated. Quite. Seriously. Um, okay, Megan, what do, you, what, what do we say about this show before we talk about it? I mean, I think we kind of set it up. I think that, you know, the flow is amazing, and I'm really excited to talk about it. I think we should just get into it. Let's do it. You want to read us set one? Let's do it. So set one is back on the train into Rift, into Gula Papyrus, Scent of a Mule, Jesus Just Left Chicago, Wolfman's Brother, Anything But Me, Babylon Baby, Reba, Alumni Blues, into Letter to Jimmy Page, into Alumni Blues. So excited to talk about Babylon Baby. Well, there's, a lot of rarities in this, there's a lot of rarities in this set. It's really interesting. A lot of like strange placements. Like you get off, yeah. started off immediately back on the train has only opened a show four times. Uh, seven, seven, two thousand, three, seven, oh nine, eight, fifteen, eleven, and seven, twenty nine, oh three. Um, this is only one of 10. Jesus just left Chicago's in 3.0. It has not been played since 12, three, 2019. Uh, this was the last Anything But Me, and this is one of three Babylon Babies. And then obviously Alumni Blues, Jimmy Page, Alumni Blues, very rare, special song whenever it's played. Um, I say all that just because like, at a time when there's not a lot of new songs being debuted, at a time when there's some stale aspects to the set listing, this was a show that immediately when the set list started to unfold and when you got the tape or you got, you saw the show come up on live fish, it just looks exciting. It may look a little mm-hmm. tame right now, the first set, but it really looked exciting at the time. And that's really important um, because this was a back to front, like first and second set were just jam packed for the era. I, you know, I'm going to say it like I, I looked at this, to, to listen to it and i remember you know the thing about the second set but i looked at this first set and i was like is this do i need to listen to this um and i did and it was i think largely i think the word i would use to describe it is fine um i think and i, I megan we talked about this before everybody else was on it's like jesus just left chicago is a jam chart version and page <laughs> goes off on this virgin version excuse me that's a weird sentence. Um, <laughs> and he, I mean, he does kind of rip, but it's not a jam. It's a solo. So uh, it may be an exceptional performance. Um, the Wolfman's also is a jam chart. And I, I think it's. Gets to a pretty unique space, especially. Yeah. For the time. I mean, it's, it's good it's like for the time on. in particular for the time, but is it like. Uh, it's not like recent versions that have really this if you didn't no already. it's 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 not like recent versions but like in the moment this was and this kind of gets to what we were talking about last it peaks week nicely as well. like, actually 
but yeah, like they're at a point where they're experimenting ever so slightly. Like these are not long jams. They're not long diversions. You were looking at this point in time and you were getting really excited for like 90 seconds of weirdness. Yeah. I mean, I think this show has a lot of energy, like right out the gate, like back on the train has like a pretty good peak. Like they just sound energized. Rift is super high energy pace. is really fast. There's like a fun little playing around at the beginning of Gula. Like it has a lot of energy. There's so much like just heart and emotion in Jesus just left Chicago. Like I don't like when fish plays the blues, but this song is okay. Just because I love Paige and like just hearing him like throw down on the organ is like, it's awesome. And this Wolfman's is, is great. Especially like you're saying, Brian, for the time, like they come out of the funk jam, it stays like within like a type one space, but it has like a monster ending, like a really powerful peak. It's really perfect at this point in the set. And I think anything but me sounds great in this spot. It's such a pretty song. I love the lyrics of this song. I really would like this song to come back into rotation. Mm-hmm. Babylon baby, just yeah, it happened. Um, they played it once in like 2011, once in 12, and once in 13, and that's that's fine. Um, and then just a nice Reba and like a fun, powerful, like, you know, alumni blues section to end the set. So I think this is fun. I bet in the room at the moment, this was felt really great. I like the It is bit. really funny to me that Babylon Baby sounds like everything we talked about modern <laughs> mic songs <laughs> and like I had forgotten what this song sounded like and it immediately starts and it's like this fun little boppy thing and then it like goes into this weird little prog place and then it goes to another place and then to another place and then Mike's singing about like I don't know the whole time I was listening I was like this could have been written in 2021 like weird yeah. this is just a mic song it's kind of impressive how he can do that <laughs> I think the um, I, I like it's amazing. The set closer is great, and the 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 yeah. noise that the crowd's making at the end of the set is just awesome. It's really yeah. pretty pretty impressive and notable. I think that that everyone was just just super I mean, alumni, super high energy. Brian is spot on. Alumni was rare. They, had pl- they played it in '99. They played it twice in 2010. Um, and nobody thought we'd get it in 2010 and nobody had any reason to think that it would come back in 2011 right here. Right. So, uh, mm-hmm. I think there, the enthusiasm is justified. Yeah. And, and Trey says, right. When he's starting the riff, uh, that big green ball came up here just enough times. I remember my brother <laughs> texting me at set break. He was at this show and there was just this giant ball floating amongst the crowd that just said alumni blues. And it just kept going to the stage. And it was one of those moments that like Trey is, you know, you were looking for this stuff at this time. It kind of, um, reminds you of uh his speech or uh, his story during colonel forbins at super bowl where he talks about how the entire fish experience has been an illusion and has been you know uh, <laughs> uh, uh you know uh um you know them them projecting their life and their music from a storage van you know it was, it was this sort of uh kind of wink humor like being brought into the joke that was not prevalent at all in 2.0 and when it happened repeatedly it made up for lack of jamming it made up for lack of debuts it just made you feel you know it had an old school feel to it from a fish standpoint so this was that was a great way to end this overall set but it's yeah to your point it's it's a first set and if this first set was played now i don't think it would have as you know, warm of a reception as it had in 2011. But in 2011, this felt like one of the strongest sets of the year. I mean, you both said it at one point, each, you, you Brian and Megan, uh, that this is good for the year. This jam is good for yeah. 2011. Um, but looking at, you know, from a broader lens, it's um, it's fine. So, Megan, the second set, how long do you think this idea was planned for did it just like happen that day i don't know probably set break i don't know maybe sound check i don't know yeah what do you think i don't know i don't really know <laughs> i feel I like get a uh, sense yeah good. No, a couple days before i i almost really? get the sense like that this was something that because they they kind of use this maybe not intentionally, but like as a tester of what's going to happen two weeks later at Dick's where they play an entire show um, featuring songs that start with the letter S, which a year later is going to lead to fuck your face. Like yeah. it almost seems like a, Hey, we've got all the, we've got this song steam. 
and we've got all these other songs, you know, maybe something that like, um, you know, someone behind someone backstage in their orbit brought to them. It was like, Hey, you have all these songs that kind of align subject matter wise. Um, and it, it leads to this sort of setless construction that kind of breaks the mold as the band's going forward. But I have no idea either. Yeah, I, I, I don't, maybe somebody mentioned it and it's been percolating in the back of somebody's brain for a, a short time prior, but I would imagine it's like at set break or, or that afternoon, Trey's like, Hey, you know, all these songs are on the table right now. Cause you know, we haven't played for a couple nights and it was out West and whatever, whatever. Let's, uh, let's string them together in this, we're in this way. They definitely had the plan coming out on stage. It was, I don't think it was, it wasn't made up on the spot no way. because Mm-mm. they played through it and then they left and then they had plenty of time for the encore. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> no, I have no idea. I mean, I feel like it's, I think the shorter, shorter time frame, but um, it was awesome. It worked great. Yeah. And I like that Ooh, idea uh, of them like playing around with the theme and how that's going to like influence. I mean, they go really full into that in 3.0, you know, so it's cool to think about it starting kind of at this point. But Tell us I'll read the second set. Is bag and uh, and what the it. theme is. There's people okay. out there who probably have never heard this. Okay. So the set list is sand into light, into dirt, into waves, into undermine, into steam, into fire. It's the elements, baby. I love that I mean, element of undermine. Yeah. And the encore is camel walk. Gaiuti, the horse into silent in the morning, Harry Hood. I mean, that must have seemed crazy at the time, but we'll get there. Yes. So is light mm-hmm. is light fire? I mean, well, light's not fire. an element. No. I, I think it's I a mean, loosely <laughs> defined. I guarantee if anybody wants to dig up my message board posts from the era, I probably argued against the notion that it was elements, but I gave up because yeah. everybody believed, called it that. And I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, it's one of those things that when someone saying. called it, it stuck and it just wasn't, yeah. even though it wasn't 100% accurate. Right, right. I mean, if they if it was if they did the elements set now, we'd get Soul Planet, you know, because <laughs> that's <laughs> Earth. Earth is an element. Earth, yeah. Um, Okay. Well, either way, I think there's some, yeah, undermine is great, great element. There's a lot of good elements. Maybe it's more of a periodic <laughs> table kind of approach with made yeah. up stuff. Oh, then we could get Mercury. <laughs> made up stuff. That, yeah, but it doesn't exist. Came to play goes, this is why fish fans can't have nice things. Which I'm guessing is, <laughs> you just accept it. It's a good thing. No, exactly. no, we have to break it apart. No, I mean, I think ultimately, like, regardless if it all works from a, you know. I did say it was cool. Thematic standpoint. It, it's very cool and it offers them this chance where pretty much all of these songs expand a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and you see, you know, like a song like sand that had some really great moments in early 3.0 is kind of working its way towards that brilliant version at Dick's. Um, you're seeing them break out of sand, a song that even when it was played for 17 minutes in the late nineties was Mike and fish holding on a very similar beat. This is, they're starting to experiment with that light is a song that, uh, has been probably the most freeing experimental song of the era. Um, and then waves and undermine, you know, these two songs that are, uh, waves has had huge moments earlier in the year. Undermine has some pretty big jams ahead of it. Like these are songs that are starting to kind of plant a flag as, you know, jamming, uh, vehicles for, for the 3.0 period where either they were, brand new songs like undermine or waves that had a few moments in 2.0, but hadn't really been a jam vehicle since then. Yeah. I love what do you guys think about the flow of this? I mean, I think this is like perfect flow and obviously something that was planned, but it sounds very natural. And I think it has just like a really nice ebb and a flow to it. Like with sand comes in, everybody just sounds super locked in right away. Paige is on the piano. There's like beautiful interplay between Paige and Trey and then you've got like the whale calls kind of segueing to end it, but it actually works. It's not like overkill yet. And I love how they segue into light, which quickly kind of goes right off the rails, really textured, ends like in like a light plinko, but they don't kind of like get stuck there. I think that like when I was listening back to this, I felt it, they weren't kind of just grasping onto things and holding onto it. They were kind of really, they sounded really like open and and free in a way that I hadn't heard a lot of in early 3.0. This end of light is really pretty, super vibey. Trey's playing those like descending notes and pages on the organ. 
And then Landing in Dirt is, to me, the most perfect call. This song is, I think, one of the saddest and most beautiful songs that Fish has ever written. It reminds me of someone that was really special to me. I, there was like a time in my life when I could not hear this song without crying. And it just, it sounds so nice after a song like Light that is just so kind of like optimistic in its kind of essence to have a song this sad right after it is just, I think, really beautiful. And Waves is just, I love 2011 Waves. Like they're all just like great. Like they all just have such a a build to them that feels really natural. And it's got this like, there's this quiet stillness that they find in dirt. And then they come out just super like building this beautiful, powerful jam in waves. And Mike sounds incredible, really sick baseline. Trey's like dancing on top. You've got Fishman doing the big drums. And just the flow into Undermine is just so incredible. And like when Trey sings the first lyrics of Undermines, like you were saying, RJ, like the crowd goes insane because you can like hear it coming and the crowd just sounds so happy. It's just, it's awesome. And before I get into Undermine, because that jam's amazing, I want to hear what you guys thought about the beginning of the set. I mean, I, I just, I think the the sand and the light, what it reminded me is that like they it's kind of like a breadth and a willingness to continue like pushing the envelope and, mm. and also reminds me that like jams in 2023 are pretty fucking crazy compared to 2011. <laughs> totally. You know? Yeah. We're like, spoiled. Like, like, into perspective. How good like people totally. are like, yeah, fish is so boring now they're done. They're like, they're, they've like, it's just, it's crazy. Cause these, no. I mean, it's great, but I mean, compared to what we hear now, it's, it's pretty different. I think the, to me, the waves is kind of what makes this set work in a way mm -hmm. like those little the little runs that Trey are doing Trey's doing at the beginning are just Amazing. really awesome and it just the transition in undermine is really really pretty pretty amazing it's great the flow is great it's it's a really really perfect set the energy in waves is so high coming off of dirt which is just beautiful and delicate and perfect um that that's the segment and that I, I think I most love, but you know, that whole flow through the end, the second half of the set is just so like energy powerful. Yeah. As opposed to the emotional, emotional power of like dirt, uh, the energy that they put into the remainder of the set is just super high. And I've really enjoyed going back and listening to it multiple times this week. The, uh, Segue into undermine that you guys have been talking about this, this, you know, I, I said this a bunch last week on the episode, it, the same applies here. This did not happen really at this point in time. There were a lot of energized buildups and then a fade into a new song. There were some segues during this period, but like something that was, uh, and the incredible perp, one of our favorite listeners mentioned this, uh, I'd never heard the show. Undermine was my highlight at the, and the hints uh, at it several minutes before it starts pro proper. You really hear them like flirting with it, as you guys have been saying. They're not jumping into it. They're in absolutely no rush at this point in time. And they get into it and it almost feels like they're playing a jam off of Undermine and then, okay, we'll sing you the verse just to get it in. They're not trying to play Undermine straight here. <clears throat> but the back end of Undermine is really, I mean, that is the highlight for me for this overall show. Um, and it was, it made me think about like, you know, Trey is such a fascinating guitarist and he's my favorite guitarist I've ever heard. And like, what are my favorite things about him? And it, it almost is encapsulated at the end of this undermine. It's not like the speed he plays with. It's not the fact that he can peak, that he can like play around with these effects in such an interesting way. It's when on the fly, he finds a riff that sounds as though it was composed over hours that someone was like searching for these notes and for this phrasing and for the tempo and, and every, and the way he just put it out there and he just does it. And it, and it happens, you know, throughout the entirety of Fish's career. But at this point in time, it was one of the things that was happening very rarely. And you hear it at the end of this, it's not very long. It's not fast. It's just this like rising and then descending melody that, sounds you talk about the sadness of a song like dirt like what he's playing here sounds that sad and that beautiful and it's the kind of thing that just did not happen and for someone like myself like listening to this now in the context like jonathan you talked about and rj you talked about like how crazy jams are in 2023 and how nightly we get 
10 minutes longer than this undermine is and you know 50 times as many segments it feels like where the band is just jumping from idea to idea to idea and constant conversation to go back to 2011 and to hear this band figure this sort of stuff out in the moment was probably the reason why I kept listening to them um, at this point in time, even if, you know, locationally I couldn't see a lot of shows, um, why I was still like on message boards talking about them and really thinking about this band, because you were hearing these little blips of, okay, they still have it in them. We just got to hear them put it together in, in a way that, you know, lasts for an entire show or lasts for an entire tour. Um, but all of that is kind of like reduced to 90 seconds here in this undermined. And it's just, it's amazing to go back and re-listen to. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the band interplay too, like everyone is super, super engaged during this undermine. Like Mike is playing some unbelievable, like repetitive licks in the beginning of this jam. It's super dancey. And then Trey is, yeah, just playing so delicately. Paige is playing so softly. And I love when it gets really quiet. I think when a jam gets really quiet and like you're saying, RJ, you can hear the breath in it. That is it's so hard to get there. I can't imagine as a band what it takes to slow down and allow things to get to an almost stopping point. It's really, it takes a lot of confidence and it's beautiful when it works out. And I think you can hear that in this and it's just, it's so delicate and absolutely love it. And then to play fire after that and just come out with this like wild energy. That's just, that song is such a throwback and, you know, a song that I used to hear in the nineties and like, just to hear them like just absolutely destroy it is just it's so exciting and it's funny because at the end of this I was listening and like I didn't remember anything about this whole curfew thing and you can just hear they sound so loose when they're talking about it like Trey's like you know you know usually they tell us that we have a curfew and we have to end but they didn't tell us so if you're bored you can leave but but we're not you know it's just like so tell like we're not bored and and then you hear them like talking about how they can't decide what they're going to play. He's like, we can't yeah, decide. Yeah, you can hear little hints of this. Yeah. Trey hints at Camel Walk, and then it's like, we, we can't decide. We can't decide. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah. yeah. So they funny. just sound like they're having so much fun. And to play an encore, which is almost like this, what we had this summer, kind of like these like really like intense encores with like four songs that are just like wild. And this is just crazy. Like Camel Walk into Gaiuti, like this is just crazy. And then to play Horse Silent, which is such a special, like anytime you hear that at a show, you're you're lucky because that is just one of the most beautiful things that Fish plays. And then to end with Hood is like, of course they did. And it's, this is great. It's so fun. It's so exciting. And they sound super inspired. How many times have you heard just like a standalone Harry Hood encore, but like after 25 minutes to then get Harry Hood and oh. 2011 has a lot of really Shock. good Harry Hoods. Trey's playing, especially, um, as we get to like the Dick's run, his, his tone and his speed are like, they're just, it's locked in and he sounds great on, you know, these old, older fish songs um, that, you know, just require him to play almost straightforward. And this hood is just beautiful. Um, it's just, it's really, really gorgeous stuff. So um, someone asked earlier about Trey's tone in 2011 um, when we started, I think it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I think. I think it's really good. Yeah, me too. It's beautiful. I think a lot of it is the Asadok um, mm -hmm. that he got in August 2010 that he's really just you know figured out. Um, someone else asked a question I wanted to, to throw to, but RJ, what were your thoughts on the tone? Are you into it? Just really, really, um, it's like kind of gnarly. It's awesome. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. I really like it. I heard it more in like the too. 528 show and some of the other shows that I listened to from this year, but yeah, I'm into it. I think it's great. Um, and can I just share, I was looking at fish.net uh, reviews of this show and um, mm -hmm. I'm just going to share this comment from uh, wax banks. I'm just going to put it in the chat, but also I can read it. Um, if this isn't the best Shut show of 2011, up. I'm a monkey's uncle, which wouldn't be so bad. Really. <laughs> Monkeys are lovely creatures and many of them are good with tools. <laughs> wax, Perfect. Nailed it. Wax banks is a real treasure. Of, we've like, we've so had him on the show in the way back a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. We need to do it again. Just, just the, best. Um, the best. I want to share a comment or a question here from a, a friend of the pod, Cinnamon. Um, when defining it, because this kind of gets to what we were talking about, about like 
this show in the context of 2011 versus listening to it 12 years later. When Defining a Great Fish show, what factors carry the most weight for you guys? Uh, set list, venue vibe, crazy jams, substances ingested, people you are to show with. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on this and how this show fits into that because this is considered by a lot of people. It has a 4.55 rating on fish.net. This is considered a great show. Um, Jonathan, you raised your hand. What 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 is it for you? The answer is yes. It's any, <laughs> uh, any combination of these things could make it that, but great show is entirely subjective. So my great show may not be your great show and vice versa. Um, I just got to remember not to tell you that your great show is terrible and vice versa. Terrible. Meg, what about you? Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I think about it. I think about in two ways. I think about the shows that I'm at and most of them are always great for me. And then I think about the shows that I want to talk about on the pod and like digest and analyze. And that's a different thing. That's something that has like, you know, re-listenability and a show that has like great flow and incredible jams or an interesting set list or historical importance. So there's like things I think about these shows in two different ways, because when I'm at a show, it's totally about who I'm with and, and, you know, the night I'm having and what happened that day and what I've been looking forward to and, and mostly just who I'm with though. And cause I'm always having fun at a fish show, but I love it when I get to be with the people that I love. And so to me, it's a totally different experience when I'm thinking about like the shows that I want to talk about for this series. It's been a totally different thing. I've been really trying to think about shows that I didn't either spend a lot of time with or shows that weren't released by live fish or shows that maybe were really indicative of the year, but that haven't been talked about as much. Um, it's a little bit harder in a year like this. Cause I think there's just not as many to choose from, but mm-hmm. I think that's, what's been kind of like one of the most exciting things about this series for me is just been seeing the shows that everybody picks and kind of really, really going deep in some shows that I hadn't done before. RJ. Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, I guess, you know, shows attended and shows listened to are different. I mean, I do think I mostly look at the jams, you know, jams. Like, I don't jams. really, I don't really <laughs> care about like bust outs. I don't really care that much about like set lists. I mean, I just like long jams because I do think that, that they generally um, indicate a willingness or ability or something happened that, that push them in a specific direction. I do like the thematic aspect of the show just cause it's like shows us some, some forethought, but yeah, I'm kind of here for the jams guys. That's fair. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's <laughs> too bad. We're doing it's here for the jams, man. When I think about this question, like I, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I think about just like shows in general versus shows I've been to. Cause those are two completely different things in a lot of cases. And I think um, what's interesting about this show is it has that just like that flow factor where it almost doesn't matter the songs that were played. You know, the cool part of the cool thing about it is in part that um, uh, there's a lot of rare songs that are played that didn't get a lot of, you know, play before or even after. So you're hearing a lot of stuff in a period in time where they wouldn't be repeated. But the second set beyond the theme of it, it just flows from sand Mm -hmm. through fire. You press play and you don't, there's no reason to skip to another song. There's no, kind of abandoned ideas. It's just the the band is just like cruising along and kind of feeling Trey, Trey talks often about how he's a conduit, you know, for, for music. And in, at their best, there's almost an effortlessness in this show compared to a lot this year. Like it would have been fascinating to pick a show from this year that wasn't really loved because I think we could have like nitpicked some really interesting things, but this shows the contrast of that. And this shows kind of the hope of where the band was going within a year that didn't have um, a ton of those examples. And it's just, the band almost doesn't, it sounds effortless. And that to me is like when I, it's a very subjective thing, but it also like, you know, it seems to be something that is recognized by a lot of the fan base when it happens that like that set, just really, really good stuff right there. And, uh, the show, the show has it. Cause I think to your point, RJ, I don't really care about set lists. Like you could play all new songs and if they are, you know, paired together really nicely through jams, through segues, much like this set is, I'm going to want to listen to it as much as I would a set that has, you know, five of the big fish songs of all time. 
Or you could just want 12, 30, 19 tweezer every show, which I fully support. I think it's too much to ask for. But good <laughs> it's, luck. It's a little bit greedy, but you know, I'm, I support it. Yeah, me too. High bar for the band is, is uh, Meg's nickname. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm just always demanding so much when I go to these shows. Came to play, of course. How about, how would you feel about Big Boat Live? Um, oh yeah, I would like. To there are there are limits. If there it's are played lines, well, if there are good can... segues, we're there for it. Hey, I always thought big friends, jams. friends could be, to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I always thought friends could be a great jam vehicle. Uh, I always wanted it <laughs> totally. this way. Uh, home has a jam built into yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> what is the acoustic song from 2.0? It's not running on empty. That's Jackson Brown. It's um. <laughs> Someone, out of time. Please help me out here. Running out of time. That's a beautiful song. Like just midway like through this the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we just hit one hour, which means we. Uh, that's when we start uh, getting. Oh yeah. Getting charged for extra minutes, probably. Yep. No, that's not true. But we are going to bring bring you all back here for 2012, which does turn the the tide. Um, I'm not sure it happened. It does turn the tide of of 3.0. I think. Yeah, and true? you know what. I've I've got to make an announcement before before Uh-oh. that 2012 episode. Something really exciting is going to happen. Do you know what it Uh-oh. is? Well, the next time I see you, Brian, it's going to be in real life. Wow. It's going to be in real life mm-hmm. on the rocks. Yeah, That's guys, crazy. we've been podcasting we'll together see, for two years, and we're finally going to meet in person. See the torchbearers. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> exactly, that is crazy on the rocks. See Billy Strings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. So that's an interesting wrinkle in our schedule for next week, but we'll figure that out next week. So <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in and for hanging out with us. Can I can I share something else that happens next week before yeah. you press the button or have you pressed yeah. it? Um, no, next Megan week it, yeah. <laughs> on the 6th. My, my new album, which I'll hold far enough back that anybody watching can see, it's called, it's over here, called So Below. We'll be out. You can get it on Bandcamp, jmhart.bandcamp.com. Um, you can, you'll probably be able to hear it on streaming services, but you should buy your own copy, of course, because they're cooler that way. CDs look really cool too. That picture's inside too. Um, anyways, get yours. You can pre-order it now. You can buy it next week. And thank you guys for your time. Thank you, you guys. Awesome, Jonathan. Congrats, Jonathan. Thanks, y'all. All right. We will see you all next week. Thank you. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.